Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible Unmasked. Read your Bible daily and join us every Sunday at 7.30pm for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, let's read the entire Bible in 2021 with The Bible Unmasked. Good evening and welcome to episode 7 of The Bible Unmasked. Thank you all for joining us tonight. So with a little overview of what the Bible Unmasked is about, for those of you who are first-time viewers, we welcome you and we would like to tell you that this is a Bible study. Our goal for the Bible Unmasked is to be able to go through the Bible methodically for a whole year. And so currently we are airing every Sunday night at 7.30 on YouTube and on PlantationSDA.tv. So as I mentioned, because our goal is to read the entire Bible in 2021, our reading plan is shared weekly during our Sabbath services and on social media. And we would like to tell you to invite viewers to read with your family members, your friends and coworkers, and then come up with questions. If there is anything that tugs on your heart or that you're just have a little confusion over, text your questions in advance to the number 954-388-8780. Our pastors will address these questions weekly. Um, so for the first week of the month, our hosting pastor is Pastor Joe. Our second week is myself, Pastor Jen, and I'm always having Pastor Stevenson on, oh, Principal Stevenson on with me. Our third week is Pastor Dexter. Our fourth week is Pastor McCoy. And when we do have a fifth week, it is Pastor Paul Anderson. Tonight, usually I would be your presenter for this week, but I am so privileged to have my friend, Principal Rob, to take over for me as I'm in Hawaii, and I am privileged to host for him tonight. Tonight, our presenter is Principal Stevenson, and we would like to pray for you. Principal Rob, would you like to pray for us? Yes. Uh, Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity that, that you're giving us to corporately as a church go through your word. Father, we're living at a time in this world history where knowledge of your scripture is going to be crucial to us surviving to your second coming. So I pray, Lord, please, that you become a personal part of this lesson study as we go through today and start looking at the, uh, the first 14 chapters of uh, the book of Numbers, that you lead and guide our discussion that as we open what are sometimes considered um, complicated books, that we realize that just below the sur surface is a message for us as we connect with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So to go to our discussion, a little recap, last week's reading was on Leviticus 14 to 27. And I'm wondering, Principal Rob, if you would be able to briefly, just briefly remind us what was covered last week, if you're able. 
I'm going to do my best here because there was a lot of material covered. And um, so I'm just going to scratch the surface. I'm actually going to go through my Bible and I'm just going to go over the headings because if we dig any deeper in that, it's going to be a while. Um, yes. So, you know, there are some basic rules and regulations and interesting um, how to deal with defiling mold. We know about that in South Florida. The Bible has the way of dealing with defiling mold. Okay. Wow. Um, discharges, discharges and cleansing the unclean. Okay. So that's stuff that our doctors and nurses know about. Bible was talking about that a long time ago, how that's an issue. We deal with the day of atonement, which is a very powerful thing. We deal with the fact that eating with blood, eating blood is forbidden. Okay. Um, we deal with unlawful sexual practices, okay? So if you need mm. something that, that, that's going to help you understand that on, on who should be having relations with who and why and why not, very important. Mm -hmm. There were various laws that we were going, that, that, that we went through that was sort of just a miscellaneous um, there. And then in Chapter 20, we're dealing with just... Um, Punishments for laws, okay? So if you break the law, this is the bad thing that will happen to you. That's, that's there in 20. Rules for the priests are so 21 and 22. And I will tell you, there were a lot of them. So those of us mm -hmm. who are priests in our home, those of us who are pastors, don't think, oh, it's just for the priest, it doesn't apply to me. If you're a priest in your home, if you're a priestly father or parent, you need to read those. Good stuff to know. We went through the festivals in 23, and there were, there were some significant festivals there. There are, let's see, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 13 different festivals that were covered there and how to do them properly. I think the closest thing we come to as Adventists, and we don't even do it that often anymore, is camp meeting. Uh, so we need to make sure, and it's interesting to understand those festivals and what they mean and what they represent, because everything in these books points to the coming of Jesus Christ. So we need to mm -hmm. know that and understand that. Um, we talked about setting olive oil and bread before the Lord. Um, we talk about a group of blasphemers, and blasphemers were put to death back then. So um, a, a slightly different uh, uh, focus there. The Sabbath year. You've got to realize that every seven years mm. is supposed to be a Sabbath year. Jubilee. Um, one of the reasons the Jews spent some time in captivity in Babylon was to make sure that, that, that those years were returned to the land. An interesting concept there. Um, so then we talk about the year of Jubilee. Okay. And that's the year that all the slaves were let go. So in Israel, they had slavery but you could only be a slave for seven years. Year of Jubilee, all slaves were set free. Uh, so slavery was a little different back then to the way it was practiced um, uh, afterwards and ultimately abolished. Um, there were a, a rewards for obedience and rewards for disobedience that were there. So the, 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 and then there were punishments for disobedience. Obedience, very, very important, obviously, and many times we bring those punishments on ourselves, but they, they covered those. You've got to realize that at this time, God was creating a whole new nation, setting up all new laws, starting new traditions from scratch with people who really didn't know him. Okay, and then a redeeming what is the Lord's, 
is the final bit and then Leviticus is over and we're jumping into Numbers chapter Numbers. 1 through 14. Excellent. Thank you so much for that brief interview. So um, those who are viewing us at this time, it sounds exciting and you can go back into our recordings and go back for yourself and watch all of all of our recordings that have happened since the first week of January, if you still want your memory jogged and you want to join in fully. Thank you so much, Principal Rob, for um, quickly giving us a brief overview of that. Now we're going to jump right into the questions. So I know numbers, when we think of the book of numbers, a lot of people try to avoid numbers because we just see a bunch of names and sometimes the genealogies I know get tedious and boring, but when you look at it, it's so interesting when you try to piece things together, what we find. And so when we look at it, we see that from the whole community of Israel, all the names of all the warriors by their clans and families were recorded. So one of the first questions that we have, well, the first question that we have comes from Numbers chapter one. What is the biblical significance of the 12 tribes of Israel? Okay. So the number 12 in the Bible represents completeness. Okay, so the, the 12 tribes of Israel were complete, and they, they were the complete number of the, uh, of the sons of Abraham, obviously. Um, and, and so, so um, at least the sons of Jacob. And so those 12 sons represent the completeness of the beginning of the children of Israel. And you will find that over and over again in the Bible, um, not just in the Old Testament, but in the New Testament, the uh, number 12 represent the complete, um, the, the completeness in any setting. And so even in the mm -hmm. book of Revelation, you've got the 12 elders that are bowing before Jesus Christ. You know, the, the, the 12 creatures yeah. that are bowing towards the, 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 the lamb as Jesus returns in his heaven and, and, and passing judgment. So 12 represents completeness and wholeness just like in any family reunion we all come together my father had six brothers and the family re reunions were never the same if all six weren't there yeah. and so that's mm -hmm. where that number comes from we also have the 12 disciples that's right that comes with number 12 and i think i also believe that we have the number three is a sign of completeness and the number seven is a sign of also a number of completeness. So now we have the biblical significance of the 12 tribes of Israel. All right, and coming that's why from number 12 disciples. He didn't choose 14 or 13, 12. Yes. That's exactly. Yes. I and I, it's beautiful how the Bible continues to correlate it. It's not just in one section, but it, it, it follows in different sections. You will find these repeating numbers over and over again and so we can we can all tie it back to the completeness of, of of how god wanted it labeled now we're coming to numbers one three and we find let's look that up numbers one three we will find um 
The verse says, from 20 years old and above, all who are able to go to war in Israel, you and Aaron shall number them by their armies. And the question then is, why 20 years and above? Was the age of 20 the age of adulthood? Well, it's not necessarily just the age of adulthood, but that's when you're ready to go to war. It takes time to train. Back then, you didn't have to just train to shoot a gun down range. You had to train in weaponry and fighting and uh, prepared for military. So the, the, the text itself points very clearly to men of fighting age. Um, mm. And so it's important to recognize that in this case, um, it was talking about military service. In the United States, mm -hmm. we start, you know, we, we bring the boys in at 18, which is pretty young. Um, I think what's interesting from, from a health standpoint is that it shows the health of their society in that, you know, yes. that, that men were still a fighting age at 50 means that they were expected to live beyond that, which means that even though the wilderness life was challenging, men were still pretty fit to fight at 50. There are times in the world's history, um, and even now, if you travel the country of Zimbabwe, which is where my mother has come, things have deteriorated so far that, that really by the, by the mid-50s, people are dying off already, um, which is mm -hmm. unfortunate and hard. It's a sign that, that, that the Israelite um, country, the Israelite nation, as they traveled to the wilderness, God was taking pretty good care of them for 50-year-olds. I'm 55 now. You know, for 50-year-olds 50, 50 to be, uh, be able to be included for military service and that, that they were willing to, usually in desperate times, younger people are, are, are drafted into the military. But in Israel, they were comfortable with waiting all the way until they were 20 to be able to be counted as ready for military service. And so that's the context that we're looking at right now. Doesn't mean that you couldn't necessarily be of service before or after that, but that was sort of the prime age of the warrior class in the nomadic, during the nomadic time of, of Israel's history. Now, a question that was not um, listed, but I want now that you're mentioning that. So could it also be because when we consider generations, the generations are counted every 20 years, right? So does that mm -hmm. also include the age where men are in their prime and and now able to um, procreate? Is that also the reason you think? I, I, I think that probably comes into it. It's not necessarily mentioned specifically in those in those in those verses within that context, but it's entirely reasonable. Yes, that that, that would be the case. Excellent. All right, on to our next question. Um, the Bible says in Numbers chapter one, put the Levites in charge of the tabernacle of the covenant, along with all its furnishings and equipment. They must carry the tabernacle and all its furnishings as you travel, and they must take care of it and camp around it. Now, I found it interesting, and it's not in, but I wanted to ask you, what do you think? So we, we have that whole um, charge of what the Levites are supposed to do, but why weren't they counted? Why the, the weren't the Levites counted? 
the, the leavids, the, the, they were not counted for, um, they, they weren't fully counted as, as everyone else um, right. was. Well, again, the Levites were, were very special. And, and what I, I love about Levite is when you read um, Jacob's blessings and curses on his sons, mm -hmm. Levite was actually cursed by their father. And he told them, yeah. because you were such a horrible child, you will never own property. You'll, 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 you, you will just live amongst your people. And it was meant to be a curse. But what's interesting um, is a curse can become a blessing yes. if you commit to a life to God. And so the Levites never did own property. When they later go into the promised land, they, they were never given an inheritance. They lived amongst the people to serve them as God's special people. So as God's special people, they weren't going to be counted because their strength was never to be understood by anybody, mm. uh, both friend or foe. Okay, as, as, as they were there because they were specially anointed and they weren't counted amongst the military fighting men, which were part of that original census over there, you know, the, the, the 20 to 50 group, because the Levites were a special group of people that were never numbered, but were amongst the children of Israel at all times. Now, that doesn't mean that they, that they didn't participate in war, but they were a secret number of God's special people who were set aside for service for God. And it was so special. So I found that. So I, I, I had to read that part of the chapter over and over because they were not numbered. And as you said, they, the, the blessed, the curse becomes the blessing, right? Because now yeah. they're in charge of the tabernacle, you know, the sacred, it's sacred and, and everything in it. And so they're, they're set apart for God's special, God's special gift, you know, they're set apart to take care of that. So one question that comes with it is, why would an outsider not be allowed to come near the tabernacle? And this is in reference to Numbers 151. It says, and when the tabernacle is to go forward, the Levite shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be set up, the Levites shall set it up. The outsider who comes near shall be put to death. And so the question then arises, why would an outsider not be allowed to come near the tabernacle? And who is the outsider or the stranger in this context? Who is considered the outsider? I believe the outsider at this point is anybody who isn't a Levite. And, and one of the reasons I think it's, it's crucial is we're talking about a time when, when the tabernacle, which was literally at that time where God lived with them. I mean, it wasn't, and it wasn't just like a special yes. tent. God, God's presence was visible for everybody above that, yes. above that structure. And from an administrative standpoint, and again, being a school principal, I see things from an administrative standpoint, you don't want the wrong people involved with setting that up. You also don't want right. the wrong people involved with pilfering what belonged in it. Mm -hmm. Very, very special stuff. You know, and we don't live in a time in the world's history where anything is truly sacred, which I think we miss out. I think we miss out on that. So people who were prepared for trained in and understood the importance of what they did were the only people to have contact 
contact with that because you can't mishandle and fool around with and play with what is as sacred as what went into that structure. Mm. And so, so, so to make sure nothing gets lost and some, nothing gets misplaced and, and, and nothing gets messed with and, and, and nothing and accidentally sacred ends up in somebody else's tent. It was only those individuals who, who had permission and had been consecrated and prepared mm -hmm. to have a hand in dealing with anything that was strictly having to do with Yahweh because it, they didn't yes. want it to be trivialized. And I think one of the things we miss out in, in Western culture is we have a, a tendency to allow the sacred to become trivialized. I, I, I'm honestly yes. concerned sometimes where we trivialize Christ and our relationship with him. Um, I'm mm -hmm. personally doing another study through the book of Revelation with our with my staff at the school. And one of the, the things that strikes you is that every being that truly knows and comes into contact with God falls at his feet and cries glory yes. to the Lamb. And, and, yes. and so yes. you know, one of the things that we've done in modern Christianity is rather than exalting God, we've brought him down to our level. And it's very clear in this as God truly traveled with and was the actual leader of the Israelite people that everything that had to do with him could only be handled by those who had been trained and were consecrated mm -hmm. and committed to that specific service. Beautiful, beautiful. Numbers um, three. Let me make sure I got this verse right before I read it out loud. Um, Numbers three, thirteen. Numbers three, thirteen says, "Because all the firstborn are mine." Well, let me go a little bit back, a little bit into Numbers 12. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine. And then in 13, it says, because all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified to myself all the firstborn in Israel, both man and beast, they shall be mine. I am the Lord. And then further in verse 46, it says, and for the redemption of the 273 of the firstborn of the children of Israel, who are more than the number of Levites. Now, um, when you look at that, the question becomes, does this still apply today? And if yes, how? Well, we, we definitely don't give honor to the power of the firstborn now as we did in the past. However, me being mm -hmm. the firstborn in my family, mm -hmm. um, my family, we were raised as a priestly family. As, as I've shared before, my father had six brothers and all but mm. the youngest became a pastor. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and it was considered extremely important for the firstborn of my father's home, which is my uncle Ernest, who's still alive, well into his 80s, to, to pick up the mantle of their father and be the priest of the home. Uh, when I was mm. raised as a child, my father raised me to be the priest 
of my, not just my family, but over my brothers and sisters. And so you will ask my brothers and sisters, I make an attempt every single week to call them, touch base with them and pray with them. Okay. My father wow. did that with us when we were children growing up after we left the home. And so I make it an attempt. I don't always connect with them every single week. Sometimes there's stuff going on and they're unable to pick up the phone, but they get a prayer on their answering machine from their big brother wow. because it is my responsibility as the priest of my home, as the one set aside by God to reach out and make sure that those traditions carry on. Continue. And so, yes. and so I would like to challenge the firstborn, men particularly of their homes, to recognize that God has called you on a priestly mission. And it doesn't cost you anything nowadays. Now, in olden times, it cost money to do a long distance call. But now you can pick up a cell phone and you can drop a message on an answering machine, letting your brothers and sisters know that you're praying for them and that you desire to see them in the kingdom and provide that level of priestly service to your family to recognize that a firstborn son is set aside by God. My son is the firstborn and he knows that he's responsible for his younger sister. And should I pass away, he is also responsible for the priestly role with his mother. Should I pass on first, mm. and she's still alive. Um, that that role is important. And if we want to make sure that the mission of Christ continues forward, unbroken in each one of our families, that the firstborn take that responsibility seriously and recognize that even from, you know, f f going back into the book of Numbers, that it's incredibly important by God to recognize that that first God born is somebody important and special. And I, I, I believe also that those of us who aren't taking that seriously as our firstborn will be judged for dropping the ball and not continuing to be the leaders in our family, guiding our families to, 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 to the promised land. This promised land, of course, was the first promised land, but the ultimate promised land that was made possible by the death of Jesus Christ. Now, that is beautiful. The fact that you are doing exactly what your father has taught you to do, and you're doing it faithfully. So I, I know, as you have just said, that this was the task that was given to you by your father. This is what you were trained to do as the firstborn. This is what you're training your son to do. And you're doing it. You're making your weekly calls every week, but do you see a difference? So you are doing it because this is what your father has taught you, but do you see that it makes a difference today? Are your siblings, is your family closer because of what you're doing? Are you more connected spiritually? Do they appreciate it? Yes, we are closer and yes, we appreciate it because I'm not their judge. I'm their mm. spiritual leader. And so there have been times when my brother and sister have wandered away, but they knew that once a week they were going to hear from their brother. And I, I personally believe it's helped them to recognize even in their darker times that um, this was where they needed to come back to. And, mm -hmm. and so I have seen my brother and sister step away and I've seen them come back and they always know that I'm going to challenge them to continue the walk. And they always know that they're going to be encouraged that Jesus is coming again. And so it, it doesn't have to be complicated. 
It's just that mm -hmm. somebody in the family is going to be is going to pick up Watching the baton out. and continue running for it, and and making sure that the family is has is is focused on being together when Jesus comes to take us home. Beautiful, beautiful. All right, there um, in numbers, it's and I'm reading off of the questions that are being given to me. So this one doesn't exactly say where. Yeah, it's coming from, but I will read it. Okay. In Numbers, it says, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. Suppose a man's wife goes astray and she is unfaithful to her husband and has sex with another man, but neither her husband nor anyone else knows about it. She has defiled herself even though there was no witness and she was not caught in the act. If her husband becomes jealous and is suspicious of his wife and needs to know whether or not she has defiled herself, the husband must bring his wife to the priest. He must also bring an offering of two quarts of barley flour to be presented on her behalf. Do not mix it with olive oil or frankincense, for it is a jealousy offering, an offering to prove whether or not she is guilty. So the question then is, does the idea of marital faithfulness only apply to women? Can a man be unfaithful too? So I, I'm guessing the reader or, or the one who was questioning this is saying, Look, this is what the husband gets to do if he's if he's suspicious of his wife cheating, and so the, here's the whole jealousy offering. But can this can the tables be turned, and can the wife turn around and do the same thing? Can she bring a jealousy offering on her spouse's on her husband's behalf if she suspects her husband of infidelity? Um, we, we're going to have to deal a little bit with the cultural context that we're talking about here. In biblical mm -hmm. times, and times have changed, okay? In biblical times, women were property of their husbands. Husbands weren't mm -hmm. property of their wives, okay? Things have changed. And, and personally, I think in, in the post-tribal age and the time we're living in, I think for the better, um, you know, but back then you've got to understand that the whole issue of male and female interactions, the inter in, in, and and the way they they dealt with with um, with infidelity, how they dealt with, with with premarital sex, and all those issues back then came from the, the from the fact that first of all, premaritally women were 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 worth more financially mm. to their fathers than not it was a financial issue that was at stake mm -hmm. and and so when a, if if a woman was involved with another man that was tarnishing her value as a wife to her husband and so her husband would have reason to go for recourse to find out what was going on and there was a compensation that needed to be paid and taken care of if that was indeed the issue um so would would a woman back then go in and 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 want to deal with her husband if he was 
not faithful to her. This was a very different time in the world's history and a very, very different view of what marriage was because marriage was definitely a financial arrangement. A man paid for the wife. That was a dowry. I don't know how many of your men, the men here listening to my voice, paid a significant amount of money to their father-in-law for the right of marrying their wives. Different mm -hmm. times, a different culture, a different expectation. Now I will tell you that, that, that now with, with women being more equal to men, and being seen as that in our society have changed where the, the men are as equally as beholding to their wives when it comes and paul talks about that very directly in 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 the in the new testament that we are to love and cherish our wives as much as as wives are supposed to love and cherish their husbands and be as true to them as christ is to the church and loving and caring that was not so much the case Day. Okay, and again, as uh, what what I love about Christianity, definitely, and I, I'm not dogging on Islam. I've read the Quran. There's a lot of beautiful stuff in there. The the, the but but one of my criticisms of the Quran, Quran is that it becomes more and more dogmatic as it moves along. Um, with where as where in Christianity we become more and more enlightened as our scripture grows with our understanding of our relationship with God and each other, and especially as we see the, those relationships change, change, especially with the fulfillment of everything that was being pointed to in Israel, Israelite times. And so is infidelity wrong for a man as hell? Is infidelity as big of an issue for men as it is for women? Indeed, it is. Because in Christian times, in, in, after the death of Christ, we are pointed directly to the fact that we need to be as true to our wives as Christ was to us in his salvation to, for humanity. And so it was a different time. It was a different perspective. Marriage had a very, very different feel to it, a very different understanding. And so it was more of a financial issue than it was necessarily an issue of fidelity when we're looking at this kind of a situation. It was a breach of a very serious financial contract that was being dealt with here in a different way to the way we see marriage now um, Today. in, in, in mm -hmm. the time that we're living. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ooh, so I, I have a feeling that the women who are watching, although they are understanding, and you explained it well, why it wasn't really allowed, you know, but this was a financial contract, as you say, you know, they're still saying in their heads, true, but you know, that's still not right. Then we can't do a jealousy offering. O only our husbands can do a jealousy offering on us. And so, you know, the men were free to. Um, I I don't the, be, it, it, again. It was a very different time, and 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 th this is this is going to make some people a little uncomfortable. And it's definitely not right. politically correct based on our understanding nope. of, of 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 those kinds of issues today. And and but I will tell you if there there is a man here watching, thinking Yahoo, I'm off the hook, and I can do whatever I want. <laughs> no, 
again, <laughs> th things have changed better for men and for women now, but especially women. Okay. Women are better protected now than they were back then, you know, because that's true. And, and we'll ultimately get that to do it. It was very easy to divorce your, your wife back in those days because she was just a piece of property, but Christ comes along and the disciples will ask, can we divorce a woman? No, you divorce your woman. And then it doesn't matter whether you remarry or not. You're still considered break, committing adultery. If you take on another wife and get married afterwards, that you need to take care of her because if she was, she, she, once Christ came along, it was no longer just a piece of property that you got to just write a piece of paper and say, okay, she's not mine anymore. I don't want her. That's not how we treat each other anymore because love and caring for each other was, was, was yeah. personified by Christ's love for his people and how he wanted men to treat women. So this was a very different time. This was a tribal society. Okay. And for those of you who, who understand the, the, the struggles that we deal with in tribal countries, both in the Middle East and in Africa, tribalism brings out, doesn't necessarily bring out the best in us. And, and, um, it's only when we see everybody as, as a brother and sister in Jesus Christ and get beyond our tribal, um, struggles that we are actually able to have a better, more enlightened society. But in a tr tribal society where you're trying to set up a structure that people can live with, this was how they saw it back then. And obviously we have changed and grown and gotten beyond that in the modern times and, and in modern Christianity, especially when you take Christ's words and explanations that challenged men to go beyond that in their relationships with each with, with, with their wives, their spouses and the women in their lives. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Um, the next question asks about numbers five, 23 but I, I read through that that verse and it doesn't it doesn't seem to match with the question so there's another verse that the member also mentioned we're looking at numbers 825 and it says um, I'm going to read a little bit from verse 24 so that it connects to verse 25 this is what pertains to the levites from 25 years old and above one may enter to perform service in the work of the tabernacle meeting and at the age of 50 years they must cease performing this work and shall work no more so the question then is should ministers start ministering no earlier than 30 years of age and should they stop at age 50. all right now let's talk and, and we've already touched on a little bit earlier the work of the levites was seriously hard work okay we've got to understand that tearing that that that, that tabernacle down packing it all up carrying it it didn't say that you loaded on wagons with animals right carrying it when you mm -hmm. read the list of everything that went into that seriously heavy stuff everything had to be done just right we've got the, there's a reason why and and this might not be a perfect an analogy but in professional sports 
Most guys don't. Everybody's complaining about that old quarterback that just won the Super Bowl. Okay, he was in his forties. Okay, <laughs> most people in professional sports don't go into their forties, especially in football, something that is super physical. Okay, if yeah. you're in hard construction, you know when I was in college, I one of the ways I paid my way through college was being was tending block for people who were laying base building basements in Michigan. Okay. And I was a big, strong guy, and I would make double the money because I could do the work of, of two guys. Okay, but mm. you can't do that. Most of the of the masons that I worked with, once they started hitting their fifties, they weren't able to do the work anymore. Lifting those big cinder blocks and laying them on, and some of the older guys that I worked with were the master ma master masons. Their backs were already starting to give out on them. So you mm. had to be strong enough in your 20s to be able to do that work. By the time you were 50s, if you read on in that text, they could still volunteer, okay? But as far as the work being required of them anymore, it was no longer required of them because some of them were already dealing with the, the, the physical limitations of what they were able to do on, uh, on that work and the physical toll that that work was taking on them, mm. okay? And so this was just a realistic recognition that being a Levite, especially during the days when they were, when they were moving the tabernacle on a regular basis, was hard work. And that mm -hmm. there was a time where that hard work was no longer going to be required of them. There is an early retirement for firemen, okay? Most ah. professional firemen are retired at 50 with full retirement benefits. Why? Because the work is incredibly demanding and to do yeah. the work at their age post 50 is putting them at a greater risk of damage and possibly even them not being able to save somebody the way they the way they were supposed to. So that concept then goes into the early retirement age where that work was no longer going to be required, but they could still volunteer to do it if they still felt they were capable. Nice. All right. So Next question. Oh, go ahead. Pack up the church and carry it on his back and take it anywhere. So Pastor Joe can go <laughs> ahead and be pastor until his mid sixties. No problem. It does not apply to him anymore. <laughs> go, Pastor Joe. <laughs> yes. All right. This question comes from number six, and you could. This is a question from for me that you can, or not from me. This is actually posted from one of our members, but um, you'll see what I mean. So um, the question goes. All the Levites, priests, and elders were men. Can women serve as pastors and elders then? I'm guessing that's, can women serve as pastors and elders then? And what about today? Okay. First of all, we're talking about, again, a different society to what we're dealing with yep. now. It mm -hmm. was, a again, a tribal society. Women, for the most yep. part in those societies, were considered property. And the fact is, if you weren't somebody's property, you were in trouble, okay? There was nobody to protect yeah. you. Um, that, that's yeah. why, again, going to a different religion, to, to Islam, in, in Islam, 
men were allowed to have multiple wives because it was a tribal society. There was a shortage of men. And in the tribal society, the reason men had multiple wives was to make sure women were protected. If you weren't somebody's wife at a certain point, there was nobody to protect you in a warlike society. Okay. So mm. in, in, in that culture, in that society, at that time, with the, with the kind of, 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 difficult work that ministry involved. You've got to understand, Jen, I don't know if you've ever had to slaughter a bull before. No. But fish, that is yes, hard. not a bull. A fish is different to a bull. Okay. Yeah. I had to help <laughs> yes. a friend when I lived in Arizona get rid of a couple of horses that got struck by lightning. Okay. And we had to bust out a chainsaw and cut those things apart so we could haul them in and, 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 and dispose of them properly. Okay. Incredibly nasty, filthy work preparing those offerings to be adequately sacrificed, cutting them in, disemboweling them, cleaning them up, pulling the skin off of them. It's hard work. Okay. Yes. A minister back then was not the nice sanitary ministering that we were doing today. Doing today. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You're right offerings and the cleaning and the dismantling and all those kinds of things. It was incredibly physical. So in mm -hmm. that society, I don't think it even dawned on them that women would be subjugated to that kind of activity. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so, so mm -hmm. again, look at the tribal and, and the, and the nomadic life that they were living. It didn't make sense. I mean, there might have been some pretty hefty women out there, but I will tell you that because women were loved and cherished and cared for, it didn't even enter their minds that women do would so. do yeah. that kind of incredibly intense physical labor. Physical. Mm -hmm. In and mm -hmm. day out all day long. Okay. So we've got to understand that things have changed quite a bit. But when we get into the book, of the judges, we will find out that there was Deborah, yeah. who was a female Deborah, judge, yeah. who was judge over Israel and was considered their leader and led them into war. Okay. Now it didn't happen a lot. I will tell you that didn't happen a lot, but it was never condemned in the scripture. It never said this was a bad time in Israel because they had this wicked female <laughs> judge. You know, there, there was no condemnation of it, but but it was pretty rare. It did happen. Yes. It was rare. But when it came to the, the Levites, the male Levites, because of the nature of their role and the physical physicality of it, yes. it was for people who were strong. And that's why we touched about the fact that you had to be at least in your 20s and in your 50s, even as a man, you were off the hook because this was mm -hmm. incredible difficult work. And it wasn't just the, 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 the visiting and the counseling and the nurturing, which we desperately need women to be involved with t today. The, 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 the level of, 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 and the kind of work it was, was not conducive for anybody, but the most physically powerful people. And so it was man's work because of the mm -hmm. nature mm -hmm. of the job. We desperately do need women who are going to be pastors 
and be able to do the kind of visitation and nurturing that women can do because we know that society has deteriorated and a male pastor shouldn't be going and doing one-on-one -on -one ministry with single divorced with females. Women, right. We need people who are You're comfortable right. into going taking care of that. When a woman is in the hospital, in her hospital bed, she doesn't need a man showing up in her room while she is in that kind of a condition. We need a female pastor to do that. There are certain messages that are presented more poignantly from the pulpit when it comes from a female pastor. And so again, we're no longer a tribal society. Ministry has changed. And so we need to be open to look beyond the tribal society that Israel was at that time and recognize that we're living in a different time where there are different needs. And we need to be open and recognize that as times changed, ministry changes, and that the needs in ministry are significantly different. And God left enough crumbs in the Old Testament to let us know that this is a trail that we can follow yes. and, and, and be able to be more effective in ministry. I so appreciate that you actually really delved into that, Rob, because a lot of people like to take texts like these and, and, and just proof text it, you know, right. A, that's what it is. That's it. No research into that. But because you explained that, that just explain that that delves uh, that touch touches into a little of of why things were back then and and now because like you said, culture has changed and there's different things that women need now and um, that men necessarily can't minister well to, but that female pastors and elders can do so. So I thank you, thank you for for being clear there so that that so that people don't just read the bible in black and white i appreciate that and numbers that's why it's so important that we are going through the whole bible that's why i want yes. to encourage our listeners don't stop reading the whole bible we can't create whole theologies out of one little proof text we've got to look yes. at the whole thing you can only really understand the Bible when you've read the whole thing more than once. I want to challenge you more than once. And I love that we're going through Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, because so many times there's a tendency to skip those, but there's a lot of powerful stuff in there. And there are bits and pieces that as we read it the first time we may not get, but there's other bits and pieces we need to hear. And each time we read through these books, we're able to understand them more in their entirety and recognize the context and the times that they were written for and the specific people that were being affected by them. So I, I am, I take my hat off. I don't wear hats often, but to our denomination <laughs> who is encouraging all of us to read the Bible in its entirety. We can't understand it until we've read it all. And this is why I'm taking the time to, because in our questions that have been given to us today, it, it's targeting specific texts. But as I'm reading them, you have to read a little bit before that text to get the whole context of what we're talking about. And even after that text, because you can't just see what that one text says. This is why um, I know specific texts have been given to us, but I'm also taking the time to read a little bit before so that you can see the full, the, our, our listeners can see the full text. And so it brings us to Numbers 9, 12, but I'm going to read from 9, 11. 
and it says this on the 14th day of the second month at twilight they may keep it they shall eat it we're talking about um the Passover, they shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. Now, here's where the question lay in um, the next verse. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. So the question then is, what is the significance of not leaving any piece of the Passover lamb until morning and of the fact that no bone was to be broken? Okay, th this is crucial because absolutely every one of the festivals that the Jews had, including the, pa especially the Passover, which, which is one that, that I like to actually keep track of as a Christian. It's not required. I'm not one of those feast day Adventists that, that, that's going off on the rails here. But everything that we do and everything that they did was pointing to one event. And it's interesting because, you know, we, we discussed Isaiah today in the Sabbath school lesson. It all pointed to one event, and that was the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, which was the salvation, not just of Jews, but of all of humanity. And so this lamb represented Jesus Christ. He didn't hang on the cross for multiple days, which, by the way, was part of what happened in crucifixion. Sometimes they were left there hanging on the cross until they died. Days. Okay, And so mm -hmm. Christ was on the cross just for one day. Okay. In fact, not even the entire day, because he because he had been scourged twice, he wouldn't have been able to live beyond that. But that that's that's another discussion. Um, and then it was also later pointed out in the book of Isaiah that not a single bone would be broken. Okay, which was another part of crucifixion, not something yep. that they were mm -hmm. understanding. They were actually doing a reenactment of a prophetic <laughs> event that was going to happen yes. hundreds of years. Of Future. Yes. Okay. And so everything had to fall in line with God's plan and the prophecy yes. that they were reenacting, not reenacting, enacting in in anticipation of what was going to happen oh, in the future. Beautiful. So yes. it had to fall in beautiful line with what was going to happen at at the crucifixion in order for the salvation of mankind. Not a single bone of Jesus Christ was broken because out of mercy, the Romans would actually break the legs of the person on the cross to help them die quicker because it helped in the asphyxiation of the crucified. Yeah. But Christ would mm -hmm. die not as a result of the crucifixion, but his broken heart being torn away from his relationship yes. with his as he accepted the sins of mankind. And so yes. this is very powerful in that that event and the sanctity of that event were being, were being protected as yes. they went through the enactment of a prophecy that was going to come in the future that was going to save mankind and ultimately put an end to the sacrificial system because Christ became our sacrifice and 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 our savior dying for our sins on the cross physically unbroken but heartbroken for our sin 
this is so beautiful because you look at it and it is just the Bible truth of the word of God being written and understood and done because they are, as you, as you said, they're enacting what's going to happen. They're, they don't, they're not going to see the crucifixion. They know what's going to happen. So they are enacting what's going to happen. So the fact that the crucifixion did happen, the fact that Jesus did die, the fact that he did rose, rise again is also part of the fact that he will come again. You know, so it's right. all in line with Bible prophecy. And it's just so amazing. And I just suddenly got totally excited right there. Sorry. Um, okay. Right. So that, thank you. Thank you for that. Um, now in Numbers 11, it says, it talks about the complaining of the people. And it says, soon the people began to complain about their hardship. The Lord heard everything they said. Then the Lord's anger blazed against them and he sent a fire to rage among them. He destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. As the cloud moved from above the tabernacle, there stood Miriam, her skin as white as snow from leprosy. And it says in Numbers, I will disown them and destroy them with a plague. Numbers 11.10, is the anger of the Lord greatly aroused today when we complain? When when we complain, first of all, it's okay to question. There's a difference between questioning, yep. because we don't That's understand, and complaining. And what we're looking at here is not just regular complaining. It's open rebellion against mm. the leader that God set in place to guide his people to the promised land. This was not just, a, this, this wasn't just, hey man, I'm tired of eating manna every day. I'm sure if all of us <laughs> ate graham crackers, which is what manna pretty much tasted like, if you just read the description in the Bible, ate graham crackers every single day for 40 years, it's possible that we may have a craving for the occasional bag of Doritos. It's entirely possible, okay? I mean, so, 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 you know, saying, look, you know, I think God could even understand, hey man, you know, I understand, okay? But this was an open rebellion. When we go into open rebellion against God, even now, the results of open rebellion to God, the natural results are going to be death. Hate to break it to you. Mm. If you're somebody listening mm -hmm. here and thinking, hey, I'm going to go in open rebellion to God and, and I expect everything to work out fine in my life, that's not how it works. Okay. Um, so this open rebellion, I mean, the, the, when, 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 Moses's sister was turned leprous as a result of standing against her brother Moses in rebellion to the leader that God had set up. That was a, a type of people who stand in rebellion to Jesus Christ and expect that ultimately in their lives, everything's going to be fine because God will tolerate rebellion. The mm -hmm. natural result of rebellion against God. Just like the natural result of being a heroin addict is going to mean mm. that you're gonna live a much shorter and ultimately miserable life. So, mm. so and, and we're the ones who choose to rebel, okay? We're right. the ones who separate ourselves from God. God never separates himself from us. 
But there in that camp, you've got to understand specifically the, the, the context of what we're dealing with here. God is trying to create and honor the promise yes. he made to Abraham to make his people a very special people who are going to stand out and be set apart from the rest of the world. And these people were saying, no, we don't want that anymore. We, want, we don't want the leader that God has set up. We don't want God. We don't want the society. And in and within oh. that context, they brought God's curse upon themselves. And we've got to understand that even today, when we turn mm. our backs on what God wants from us and what God wants for us and the promised land that he has promised us, we ask for ourselves to be cursed of God. We request mm. it. And so wow. by requesting it, against what God wanted, bad things happened things to those happen. people. Okay? Yes. And so we've got to recognize in our own lives, if we're turning our back on God, God, we, we, we remove ourselves from God's protection and we will ultimately pay for us removing God's protection from ourselves. And so that's what wow. happened to these people. Ooh, that's powerful. Wow. Okay, moving on. We just have a couple more questions. Um, regarding Numbers 12.1, it reads, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. The question arises, because Moses and Aaron spoke against it, is this a case of racism? I, I, I think it is. I think it is. But it's a little deeper than racism as well, because, um, you, you know, when, when the leader of the organization was not married to somebody who was part of the children of Israel, it, it became a bit of an issue. Okay. But mm. I also believe it's also racism. And you've got to understand that the Egyptians were pretty racist folks themselves, and they're coming from Egyptian society. For those who know the Egyptian creation story, God, just like the, the Israelite creation story, created man from, from, the, from, from, from the, the dirt of the earth. But in the Egyptian story, God then put man mm -hmm. into a kiln to cook him. Okay, the first time he made man, man turned out a little overdone. And that's where all the <laughs> black African people came from. He tried again. <laughs> yes. This time he, oh, he undercooked man. And that's where all the Caucasian people came from. Again, a mistake in the batch. Finally, God tried the third time and oh. this perfect light brown person came out of and that's where the egyptians came from okay so so oh that, that's the egyptian creation story okay and that's where the three major racial groups came from okay and so here moses shows up and rather than this perfectly toasted individual which looked like the <laughs> egyptians at the time and you've got to understand that that egyptians were ruled by different races of people at different times the nubians actually took over which were african people who were very dark and they ruled egypt for a while there were also the mm -hmm. greeks 
who were lighter, who came down under Alexander the Great, and they ruled Egypt for a while. But at this time, the Egyptians were, were, were sort of a nicely toasted group of people that were neither particularly dark <laughs> or particularly light. And so here he comes in. And I will tell you, the people of Kush play a very, very special role in both Christianity, but also in Judaism, because there, mm. there were... There, there, there were people, and still are today, people who are descendants of Jews who are in Israel. In fact, there was a, a, in, in, at least in Ethiopia today, and even during the Ethiopian Civil War, the Jews actually ran a, a special, um, did a special effort to help get these Ethiopian Jews out of Ethiopia and to Israel, okay? It, it was called the Red Sea Dive Club. They made a movie about it, by the way. Great film. <laughs> okay. And Israelis actually ran a pseudo resort on the Red Sea to help smuggle these people out to Israel. Okay. And 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 so the the, the kingdom of Cush continued to have historically a relationship with Israel um, all the way through uh, all the way through to modern times. So this was a, 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 the fact that racism has been with us for a long time. Yeah. And mm -hmm. people have always thought of themselves better regardless of their race than other people. And I, you know, and, 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 and it's unfortunate that it reared its right. ugly head. It reared its ugly head with Peter in the New Testament where Peter detested mm -hmm. the fact that Gentiles, which is most of us today, okay, were allowed into the church. And God had to send a special vision to Peter about all the nasty food in the, in the sheet that came mm. down in the book of, of Acts and yep. said, look, all the stuff that you thought was nasty and creepy crawly is now part of my love relationship with mankind. And so you need to now go to this Roman's home and baptize and and, yes. and, and, and and share the gospel with him, even though in your mind, he's the nastiest, creepy, crawly ever, okay? And so this exists, and it's a horrible thing. Yes. And we see it here. We see it here very early on in the history of the Jews, where this, this beautiful, dark, intelligent Ethiopian woman, who was probably the one that helped teach Moses how to write in Aramaic, okay? was his wife, okay? And, it, yes. and, and it, it caused trouble and it was very unfortunate. And we need to make sure that we learn from this experience and don't allow it to be part of our walk and see everybody who walks with Christ as family, regardless of what they look like and where they come from. And speaking to that text that you just mentioned about the sheet coming down with all the creepy crawlers and so forth, you realize that um, a lot of us as Seventh-day Adventists use that text as another proof text about what we shouldn't, shouldn't, shouldn't be eating in the Bible. And people are not connecting at all to the fact that we are supposed to um, be inclusive now of different races. Yes. They, they, they take that, that completely out of context. We should still not eat creepy crawlies. But he was mm -hmm. saying that as, as distasteful yep. as you think these things are, there is a new paradigm. A new paradigm. Yes. In which we must see. Not what you eat. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Um, okay. 
two more questions, maybe one. Um, Numbers 1332, it talks about the land of Canaan devouring its inhabitants. The question is, how did the land of Canaan devour its inhabitants? Okay, first of all, you've got to talk about who was telling the story, okay? This was just after the Israelites had entered Canaan. And these, the, this, this narrative was being shared with oh. the Israelites by, by the spies that had been sent in mm -hmm. who came back absolutely terrified about who they were dealing with. And they were trying to right. make a case for the fact that they were unprepared and ill-equipped and not in any position to take this land. To take it. Okay. Yeah. So what we were dealing with was probably one of the first cases of fake news. Okay, what these guys were trying to <laughs> yes. do was trying to tell tell a story about the fact that they could never take this land because of their lack of faith in God and the fact that with God all things would be possible. They said, "Look, if it was just up to us," and and we know there were big people in that land. Okay, we know. I mean, the Bible talks about uh, uh, about David and Goliath. And the fact that Goliath was pushing nine feet tall. They were big. They were well fed. They had never been slaves. They had been living on a better diet. Hey, listen, people think the same thing of me when I go and visit Central America. Okay, I was in Guatemala a few years ago. Six foot three, white guy, and very few people came up above my belt line. Okay, so that's how they felt. Well fed, Northern European dude showing up with little tiny people, we're not going to be able to face them. So they were exaggerating the problem and saying, look, we're afraid. We don't want to go in there. They're huge. Okay. And so this was the kind of verbiage they were using. And so they were talking about the fact that, listen, these people gobble each other up and they eat their children and they're nasty and they worship different gods and, and we've got no chance. And so that's the context of the story and how it was been woven to share the absolute feeling of terror Fear. that these people were yes. feeling going into the Canaan and taking it over for God. So it's, it was all just a lie. That's what it was. It was a lie. It was, it was a, lie a lie mixed with a little bit of truth, just like we see today watching certain news outlets, which I will leave nameless, who will take a <laughs> bit of fact and mix it with a bunch of fear to create a narrative to be able to sell advertising on TV so people will buy their advertising. And so this is what we're seeing here. They, they, they were trying to present their message of fear in a way that the people would understand it and there are a bunch of boogeymen that we're going after and we shouldn't go in because their their faith was too small and they they were seeing it from th through their eyes rather through god's eyes and what god was capable of doing for them nice very nice all right i think we made it through our final question is going taken from numbers chapter 15 verse 38 which says speak to the children of israel tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners and you shall have that tassel that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the lord and do them and that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined so the question is shouldn't we make tassels at the corners of our garments so it reminds us of god's law 
All right. First of all, there's nothing wrong with doing that if you feel like you need to. Okay. And in my neighborhood where I am, and every single morning when I drive to work down 44th Street, there is a Hasidic Jewish uh, synagogue that I drive by. Um, I love driving um, to, to, to church on Sabbath mornings because my Hasidic brothers and sisters are walking to their synagogue to worship. They don't, very few of them drive their cars. They live in within walking distance and they are dressed in the traditional garb and you can see the tassels uh, you know, uh, hanging below their, 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 their jackets. Um, so those of us who live in South Florida, where there is a significant Jewish community, will see people who continue to follow that tradition today. And I think it's a beautiful tradition. I have one of my staff members who, who bought a condominium also on 44th Street, where there's a large Jewish community. And the Torah, the little encapsulated Torah, is still on the doorpost of their, of their condominium because the original occupants wow. of that condominium had been Jewish, okay? There's nothing wrong with following some of those traditions, but it's not required of us anymore because Jesus Christ has died for our sins, and we should, as mm -hmm. Christians, have the love of Christ in our hearts, with which goes beyond the law into our relationship with Jesus Christ. And I believe that what Christ looks for beyond the law is not law, but our willingness to follow it and live it and the sacrifice of our lives for him, which, which should go beyond that and be very apparent in all that we do and say and the way we deal with people. And so yes. the, the, the love of Christ should be evident in our lives beyond a physical manifestation that we're talking about here, but in the way we deal with love and, 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 and love our neighbors as ourselves and love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, and soul. And that should be apparent in the way we live our lives and we treat and love each other and everybody we come into contact with. So if somebody mm -hmm. chooses to do this, it's okay. You can do this, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, you can choose to do this, but we really need to make sure that our love for each other is manifest in the way we live our yes. lives daily beyond a tassel that is on our clothing. Yes. Um, so I have nothing but respect for people who do that and want to make it perfectly clear to those around them that this is something that they're committed to. But I believe that it is more important that it is 100% apparent in the way we treat and love each other on a daily basis. Excellent. So beautifully said. Thank you so much. This concludes our session of Bible Unmasked today. Thank you, Principal Stevenson, for taking us through Numbers 1 through 16. We would like to invite you for next week's reading. It will be taken from Numbers 6. Oh, I'm sorry. We did Numbers 1 through 15 today. So this coming week, our reading is taken from numbers chapters 16 to 36 let me repeat that numbers chapters 16 to 36 for next week read through them um, try to read them daily and not all at once so you get a a good feel for what the bible is talking about and taking you through and if you have questions please feel free to text these questions to 
954-388-8780. Again, that number is 954-388-8780. Our presenters for next week is Pastor Dexter Thomas and his beautiful wife, Liz. And Principal Stevenson, I'm wondering if you can tell us what to expect with the upcoming chapters of numbers 16 to 36, if you can spare well, us another brief you, minute. This is gonna be a great read, guys, and I think you're gonna look forward to jumping in because it's got a bunch of palace intrigue taking place, and Dex and his wife are gonna nail this one. You're gonna enjoy their presentation um, because we're talking about an outright revolt by the Levites against Moses and Aaron's leadership. Okay, guys, so, so, so this, this is going to be, this is a great read with a bunch of, of really, really challenging stuff that take place and, 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 and Moses and Aaron being established by God beyond any shadow of a doubt as his mm. leaders during this time. So that's something that you're really going to really going to look at. You, you're going to also deal with some sad events that take place because you're going to deal with the fact that Moses and Aaron, who led God's people to the promised land, don't get to go into the promised land because Moses, even though he was a great leader, did not quite follow God's instructions when it came to providing water for God's rebellious people at a specific mm. time. I'm not going to give you all the details. I'm this is a spoiler. I don't want to be a spoiler of, spoiler of the alert. reading. <laughs> but there's some great stuff going on in here, some heartbreaking stuff that goes on here, some reminders to us as leaders that we always need to remember that it doesn't matter how great we are, our power only comes to us by God, and we are still required to do things God's way even as his leaders. And this is very, very important. Moses was probably one of the single greatest leaders in the history of mankind, but he was still held accountable for doing things God's way. So take time to read this because there's some, again, incredible palace intrigue, some powerful stuff taking place, some messages for those of us who are leaders and messages for those of us who are following God's leaders and maybe giving them a hard time. Okay, very important stuff for us to read. So take time to open the Bible and read this very, very exciting bit in Numbers because it's not all just about numbers. It's about the lives of God's leaders and his people as they questioned, as they fought and followed and moved right towards the very edge of the, follow of the promised land here in Numbers. And we also get to see the leaders of the, the 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 next leaders and some serious battles if you're into blood and carnage good stuff here guys <laughs> pick it up and read it this is not a boring read moving forward this is not stuff that you want to miss as you see the power of god as the children of israel get to the very edge of the promised land Principal Stevenson, you should be like one of those book or, or um, film critics because you totally took a book that just might be a little, uh, maybe a little boring for some, and you just made it into a thriller that people are going to be like, oh, what's coming up next in number 16? Thank you. Thank you so much. No, thank, you. thank you to all our viewers. 
for joining us for Bible Unmasked. Thank you, Principal Stevenson, for presenting numbers in a way that we can all relate to. We look forward to seeing you again next week. I won't see you, but I will be joining um, the viewership online, and we will be joining with Pastor Dexter and Pastor Liz, who will be, I mean, his wife, Liz, who will be presenting next week's for um, numbers 16 to 36. Thank you again, Principal Stevenson, for hosting for us tonight. Thank you to all our viewers for joining. And let us end with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for books that are presented lord in a way that we can see life and excitement and even though on the outside it may seem a little difficult to understand lord but when we really not just scratch the surface but delve deeper father we are able to fully understand more your story father and the story of before you came to us father that we can establish within us why things happened and understand things that we would have never questioned had we never thought to take our word your word piece by piece and learn it for ourselves father thank you for this opportunity that we can freely worship and freely look into your word may we never take this for granted father and may we always be able to open your book and gain a little greater understanding of you as we seek to draw closer to you and prepare for your soon coming. Thank you, Father, for your blessings upon us. In your name we pray, amen. Plantation SDA Church presents The Bible and the Must. Read your Bible daily. Join us every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. for our weekly discussion. From Genesis all the way through to Revelation, read the entire Bible in 2021 with the Bible Unmasked.